Welcome to a brand new episode of Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman. Good to be joined by fellow Clevelander and rock and roll expert, Frank Ost. Frank, how are you today? Very good. It's good to be with you again. 2011, our Hall of Fame inductees. Pretty good class. We'll start with Alice Cooper. What'd you think? Wow, Alice Cooper. Um, Not only a great golfer. Started out to be the name of the group and then turned out to be the name of the guy that uh, uh, sang lead for the group and uh, obviously became the the star of the group. But uh, he had some great singles. I mean, geez, talk about I'm 18 and uh, School's Out, uh, Billion Dollar Babies, just a lot of fun singles. On our previous episode, we talked about great intros to songs. School's Out's got to be one of them and a great song for the summer, unlike... (laughs) Robert John, Sad Eyes, and Gilbert O'Sullivan, and Alone Again Naturally. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about a terrific song. And like you said, uh, great intro to it. And it is, truly, you can't get through summer without hearing it. Very interesting in concert. You ever see him live? No, I did not. Neil Diamond, I have seen live. I don't know anybody who hasn't. What a great voice. What a great songwriter. The dude's been around forever. I just love Neil Diamond. Dr. John, eh. You know, right place, wrong time. Didn't know much about him. Didn't, Didn't don't know much about him. I know he has to do with the Creole down in New Orleans, but uh, other than that, I couldn't tell you much. Kind of falls in the Lou Reed category for me. Yeah, good. Okay, if you want him in, fine. I don't really right. know much about him. I guess that shows Not some put ignorance up a big in my part. argument. <laughs> yeah, right. Tom Waits, your favorite. Oh. <laughs> Neil Young introduced him. Good songwriter, but I don't know what he would be doing in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I guess a lot of people think he's... Uh, good enough so who am i to say no as we move backwards towards uh into the 2010s and the 2000s of hall of fame inductees neil diamond i was waiting forever for him to be inducted even just uh, nominated and he finally got his turn his his day in 2011 um other groups that um i think should be in rock hall um well foreigner to me i think oh absolutely pat benatar Mm-hmm. They'll get their nod someday. Todd Rundgren certainly deserves it. And I'd love to personally. I'd love to see Emerson, Lake, and Palmer in there. I think they belong too. One hit wonders. Might as well hit some of those. There were a bunch in 1968. A couple of instrumentals. One by Mason Williams in Classical Gas. Remember that song? I love that song. Mason Williams was the. Uh, the band leader for the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. That's right. Merrily Rush, Angel of the Morning, brought back by Juice Newton for some reason a few years later. That's right. Reach Out of the Darkness, Friend and Lover. That was out right around the time of the Bobby Kennedy assassination. Mm, how sad. Speaking of great intros, Status Quo, Pictures of Matchstick Men. And if you ever get a chance to listen to that, that's a song that literally gets stuck in your head all day long. Exactly. Fire. By Arthur Brown, Iron Butterfly. The crazy world of Arthur Brown. (laughs) Iron Butterfly and Agata De Vida. Wow. Yeah. I think that uh, for years was one of the top selling uh, albums for uh, Atlantic Records. These are all one hit wonders. Lemon Pipers, Green Tambourine went to number one. Their claim to fame, besides being a Miami University of Oxford uh, grads, they followed up with Jelly Jungle, which only made it to number 51. It's hard to believe. 68 was an interesting year. Not only did you have Iron Butterfly and Status Quo, but you also had stuff from Merrily Rush and 
you know, Glenn Campbell and guys like that were coming out. Vanilla Fudge, You Keep Me Hanging On. That was originally released a year earlier, but they took their crack at uh, the Diana Ross song, which I thought was pretty decent. The fun remake. Human Beings, spelled B-E-I-N-Z. And Nobody But Me, the Youngstown band, hit number eight that year. That's right. Kind of a Beatles sound alike band, one of those many that were out in the 60s. Top albums, 1968. Speaking of the Beatles, the White Album. My goodness. <laughs> Doesn't get much better than that. Uh, I, as, as I said, it's one of my it's one of my top five Beatles albums, which means it's one of my top albums of all time. Let's put it that way. We've talked a lot about how the Beatles would push the Stones and and vice versa. The Stones had an album out almost every year. In 1968, they had two: Beggar's Banquet and their Satanic Majesty's Requests. Right. Stones are going to be a featured artist in this episode. Yeah, and uh, her Satanic Majesty's Request was a kind of a uh, nod to what the Beatles were doing uh, again uh, with uh, Magical Mystery Tour and, uh, of course, Sgt. Pepper's. Simon and Garfunkel's bookends, Cream, Wheels of Fire. Did you ever see the movie Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash yes, movie? Yes, I did. Joaquin Absolutely. Phoenix? Absolutely. really good. Just saw it recently. Johnny Cash, June Carter Cash, and Carl Perkins, I did not know, played at the uh, Folsom Prison concert. Oh, really? Because the okay. movie, I think, just depicts uh, June and, and right. Johnny there. But Absolutely. Interesting album. And really a good scene in that movie, too. Get a chance to check it out. Velvet Underground, White Light, White Heat, Fleetwood Mac, the original Fleetwood Mac, their debut album, and Traffic featuring Jim Capaldi and Steve Winwood, who was only 19 years old at the time. Wow. A lot of guys got their start early. Neil Sean at 17 with Santana, Greg Raleigh at 18 with Santana. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spencer Davis Group and Blind Faith, and of course, a great solo career for Stevie Winwood. Spencer Davis recently passed away at age 81. Yeah, we just lost him, sorry to say. Traffic's second studio album came out that year. All right, so Frankie, other big albums that year. A Sailor by Steve Miller Band. It was his second one, and it featured Boz Skaggs in the band, and produced by Glenn Johns, who's worked with the Eagles and Clapton and The Clash and, and well, just about everybody else in the music industry, it seems. Hendrix had Electric Ladyland that featured Crosstown Traffic and Voodoo Child. Simon and Garfunkel had a couple. Bookends, that was a concept album about uh, age and getting old and getting young and old friends, America, Hazy Shade of Winter. The full version of Mrs. Robinson is on there. Uh, The uh, soundtrack to The Graduate was released in January, about a month after the movie was. And that was also a lot of Simon and Garfunkel work on there, as well as Dave Grusin. You know, the, the uh, smooth jazz artists did a lot of the instrumentals for that soundtrack. The Birds had a couple that year. Notorious Bird Brothers in January and Sweetheart of the Rodeo in August. And Aretha Franklin had a couple. Remember the song, I, I Say a Little Prayer for You? Of course. And Think. That was from Aretha Now in June. Earlier in the year in January, Lady Soul featuring Chain of Fools from the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. And Deep Purple, Shades of Deep Purple featuring Hush and a cool cover version of Help. Also, the Moody Blues and Ride My Seesaw, The Actor, Legend of a Mind, all in the album In Search of a Lost Chord. All great albums in 1968. What a year. Breakout artists that year, 1968, the Delphonics. One of my favorites. Remember, Didn't I Blow Your Mind? This oh, time. that's right. Uh, that's right. Interesting sound. Mm-hmm. Steppenwolf. 
Some good singles. Magic Carpet Ride. Magic Carpet Ride, and of course, Born to be Wild. Born to be I wild. think uh, supposedly they made up the term heavy metal, so right there. Credence Clearwater Revival, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, CCR, John Fogarty and the guys. What a terrific band. Joe Cocker, Sly and the Family Stone, Kenny Rogers in the first edition. Kenny Rogers also recently passed away. We're losing all of our all of our artists, aren't we, Frank? Exactly, exactly. We're all getting to that age, sorry to say. Top songs, 1968, Cream, Sunshine of Your Love, and White Room. Simon and Garfunkel's Mrs. Robinson. Tommy James and the Shondells, Money Money. The Doors, Hello, I Love You. Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. They had really cool costumes on stage, too. That's right, Kind of like did. Paul Revere and the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Everybody had their own, their own shtick. Young Girl. I love that song. His voice was amazing. Box Tops, one of my favorite, Cry Like a Baby. Yeah, that's right. Steppenwolf. Valerie by the Monkees. Light My Fire, not The Doors, but the Jose Feliciano version. Okay. Which is really, really cool. And, of course, a healthy dose of psychedelic rock-like pictures of Matchstick Men by Status Quo. Hurdy Gurdy Man by Donovan. Keep Me Hanging On, Vanilla Fudge. Some good tunes. That's right. 1968. Oh, what a great year. And some not-so-good songs well, as well. Well, there's always a few. Love is Blue, the number two song for all of 1968. It's been a lo- bunch of weeks, five, six weeks at number one, and then it's followed up by Honey uh, as a number one song by Bobby Goldsboro in the spring, summer of that year. What would you think of Honey? Well, it's one of your not-songs of the summer because it'll break your heart listening to it. <laughs> it will. I cry almost every time. It's written by a guy named Bobby Russell who we've spoken about before. He wrote the number one hit, Night, Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, and also O.C. Smith's Little Green Apples. That's right. So he had something to do with a uh, couple of other hits. It's been a long time at number one, and Bobby Goldsboro had uh, followed it up with a bunch of hits, and I'm sure his own TV variety show. Absolutely. Um, a guy named Shorty Long, Here Comes the Judge. Hit number eight. Shorty Long? Yeah. Here comes the judge. That was from Laughing, wasn't Flip it? Flip Wilson, it was a little, wasn't it? little shtick. Wasn't that Flip Wilson had? shtick? Here yeah. come the judge. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Ohio Express. Playboy by Gene and Debbie. These were all big hits, too. I mean, they weren't just top 100. These, mm-hmm. these hit the top oh, yeah. 10, these top were, 12, these whatever. Top Mary Hopkin, top Those Were the Days. The Cow Sills, We Can Fly. <laughs> The Cowsills, of course, gave birth to a group like the Partridge Family a exactly. couple of years later. The Fireballs, Bottle of Wine, Richard Harris's uh, number two hit, and a, a seven-minute and 21-second song, which was unheard of at the time, called yes. MacArthur Park. Absolutely. Still pretty much unheard of. Yeah, it is. The 1910 Fruit Gum Company sang Simon Says. <laughs> what a great tune. Featured artist this week, I've been looking forward to this one, Frankie, the Rolling Stones, Hall of Fame inductees, 1989. UK Music Hall of Fame, they must have started later, 2004. Keith and Mick have been friends since 1950 when they were classmates in Dartford, Kent. Oh my God. And I can't, course, I can't uh, imagine. Hard to believe they go back that long. 1950. Oh my God. Jaguar was originally studying economics and then he's a smart guy and then decided to leave the band to pursue a recording career. Richards himself, he was studying arts. Two of them decided, you know. Makes sense. Let's join up with guys like uh, Brian Jones, Mick Taylor, Charlie Watts, Bill Wyman, Ian Stewart. Uh, Ian Stewart 
was a founding member of the Stones. He played piano and wound up playing piano for a lot more of their tunes, but wasn't a permanent member. Their manager at the time felt he would not be a good fit for the band, so he was dropped. And so he remained their road manager for and pianist for many years to come. Yeah, I know. I know the name, and I've heard, uh, I've heard him play on tours. So the Stones first started earning their way, learning their stuff, doing their chops. You know, they play a lot of, a lot of blues, a lot of jazz, a lot of cover stuff. Uh, played for free at a lot of wow. the first gigs. And then what happened was De- Decca Records, having turned down the Beatles, like earlier that year, the year before, it was like 1962, 1963. Exactly. Took a chance and signed them to a sweetheart deal. Get this. They paid the band three times usual royalties, gave them full control of their recordings, and also ownerships of their master tapes. Wow, that kind of stuff was unheard of back then. Unheard of. Plus, the ability, this is important for later on, to record wherever they wanted, including non-DECA recording studios. Okay. Later on, Mick Jagger said it would be tough to find a place to record where they accepted us all at one time. Right, exactly. So they would go to places like Jamaica, uh, United States, Morocco even. They would record France, I know of, they did that some there. different places because yeah. uh, these countries wouldn't accept them. Absolutely. So the album started coming fast and furious. They put one out pretty much every year until like 1979 or something. Exactly. They? 1964, it all began with England's newest hitmakers, the Rolling Stones. And in 1965, 12 by 5, the time is on my side, it's all over now, under the boardwalk. Didn't write a lot of those early tunes, did they? No, and uh, it's it's hard to underestimate the worth of uh, Brian Jones back then. He was really kind of the leader of the band, so to speak, uh, more than even Jagger and Keith Richards, he kind of put things together and was kind of an, a manager within the band. So a lot of the albums were d- distributed in the UK and then they were released differently in the United States. Different, exactly. Different tunes appeared on, on different albums. July of 65 and also December of 65 came Out of Our Heads, which featured the last time in Satisfaction, and then December's Children, which uh, had the number four hit in the U.S. called Get Off My Cloud and As Tears Go By. So you could see the hits were starting to come, weren't they? Starting to come, yeah. They were a little slow. They were, right. They were still doing the covers with great success. But um, they were still writing some stuff, but not all of it. That would come, that would take a little while for them to... Yeah, I know even the Beatles uh, uh, wrote some, some songs for them along the way. They did. So March 1966 came Big Hits, High Tide, and Green Grass that featured 19th Nervous Breakdown. Some of these, these are mainly what was uh, released in the United States as opposed to the UK because like the Beatles, they didn't have the same kind of Yeah, it was a different uh, set of tracks. Different different, uh, era back then, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Mother's Little Helper, one of my favorites, July 66. That song would still work today. Oh, absolutely. What a great song that was. They just. What do you think of their their songwriting abilities overall? Uh, they again. They started out a little raggedy, but once they kind of caught their uh, wind. Oh my goodness! What a great bunch of songs they were. I mean, their catalog is second to none, and that includes the Beatles. Their discography just goes on and on. It's it, it, what a great history of of stuff. Do you think that you could narrow down maybe your top four or five Stones albums? I would think that probably uh, if you're looking at the 
their great period between uh, like 68 and 72, Beggar's Banquet was one. Let It Bleed was definitely a fantastic album uh, that I play all the time. And I still play Sticky Fingers with what I consider the best. Well, it, fe- it featured uh, Brown Sugar Brown and, sugar, and Wild it. Horses. Sticky Fingers did. That was April 1971. Yeah, Brown Sugar was, was the one that I was uh, talking about then. Um, probably the best three minutes and 20 seconds ever created on on a record. It was just perfect record. Anytime you're at a party or any place else and they put that record on, immediately it turns up a notch. Uh, and then, you know, Exile on Main Street was a great one. But later on, too, I, uh, I, Some Girls was an excellent song in the later 70s, excellent album in the later 70s. And then you had uh, Tattoo You, which was kind of their comeback in the early 80s uh, with Start Me Up. Uh, just a fantastic album. Hang Fire, Waiting on a Friend, Lil TNA. That's right. If it sounded like something you heard earlier from the Stones, you would be right because it featured mostly outtakes and unfinished work from stuff they had done as far back as 1972. Wow. I did not realize Some of those songs were recorded at various times over the past, what, 10 years. Well, no wonder it was so good. (laughs) Yeah. It's a great album. They continued touring. Uh, I didn't get with the Stones really until the Black and Blue album. Okay. Um, And the first one I could afford to buy was probably the Hot Rocks. It was the double-sided Greatest Hits album. Right, Greatest Hits, right. Which I now also have on CD. For some reason, my collection is uh, full of the same artists and some of the same stuff, but Black and Blue featured Fool to Cry and, mm-hmm. and Hot Stuff. Then came another live album, and then Some Girls and Emotional Rescue, uh, more compilations and live albums featuring, uh, you know, like Under the Co- Undercover, Dirty Work, Steel Wheels, 1988. That was pretty good. That's right. The Altamont Speedway Free Festival. What was, a disaster. I was going to say, do you remember that? But that was December 1969. Hard to remember. But I'll bet you the Hells Angels do. And you can, rem- you can watch it in the movie, uh, Give Me Shelter, which was uh, all about what happened that day. Featuring Jefferson Airplane, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the Flying Burrito Brothers, which we've mentioned before. The Grateful Dead was supposed to play, but started seeing what kind of stuff was going on and felt it a little bit too uncomfortable to perform. So the Hells Angels were providing, quote-unquote, security. They were. For $500 worth of beer. Exactly. Interesting. What a mess. It was. And it didn't take long for Mick to figure out that he had a tiger by the tail. He did not know what to do. Let It Bleed 1969 featured Gimme Shelter and Midnight Rambler. You can't always get what you want. These are all staples of uh, of classic rock stations. Oh, everywhere. absolutely. Jumpin' Jack Flash released as a single in 1968. It would on, appear on the album a year later. Compilation albums, a lot of live stuff, great in concert, aren't they? Oh, fantastic. Uh, They truly earned the moniker Greatest Rock and Roll Band. They also recorded in studios all over the world, like Mick said, wherever they would allow them in one place. At one time, they had their issues with the law and with uh, drugs and, you know, typical rock band. They recorded in places like Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Morocco, Kingston, Jamaica, England, Munich, all over the world. Yep. Wherever they could uh, find a place to play. So Mick Jagger had a little help from Keith Richards. Richards helped out on the song lead vocals, Happy, and then played all the guitar parts on songs like Sympathy for the Devil, which is still one of my favorite songs. Gimme Shelter, Paint It Black, and Ruby Tuesday. Gimme Shelter has a a huge amount of uh, uh, overdubs as far as guitars go, and it's really interesting just to sit and listen to it sometimes. 
This might be a difficult question, but the Beatles versus the Stones, who would you pick? If you had to pick uh, one group for the long run for for what they did in their uh, over their whole catalog, I would of course pick the Beatles. Uh, if I had to sit down and just listen to a catalog, however, if I were interested in going to see a show or going to see a concert, I would much prefer to see the Rolling Stones because they did it for fifth. They've been doing it for fifty years, whereas you know. The Beatles quit touring, what, in 66? So they mm-hmm. had two or three years of touring uh, and really weren't that good at the time as live as a live album, you know, as a live act. You could tell they were getting bored with it. The girls were screaming. They weren't listening to the music. And exactly. They just wanted to do some studio stuff. What I think would have been interesting to see, unlike the Stones, is uh, if they had stayed together, say, into the 70s, do some solo work and just have John on stage and then Paul, George, even Ringo right. do all their own things. So exactly. You can't say that about the Stones. When you put one of their records on, you're still going to hear Mick oh, like absolutely. 99% of the time, which is good. Absolutely. But you never quite knew what you were going to get with the Beatles. Now, Ringo Starr did sing some some solo stuff, Yellow Submarine sure. and Help My Friends, and his solo career took off later on. His voice, I thought, improved. But the stuff George wrote, and John, and Paul, whether on their own or together, right, um, made such an impact in such a short amount of time, too. The six, seven years that we knew of the Beatles. Incredible. It really was. So I would take the Beatles by a nose, but that's probably because I like their catalog overall just a tad better, especially the Paul stuff, the silly love songs, he would call it, uh, or people would. Uh, John, the introspective... Uh, and George with uh, music of uh, peace and that's true. When you add in when you add in their their catalogs, their own personal catalogs, yeah, that would make a def- definite difference. Yeah. So I would like to see both of them on stage. Wouldn't that be absolutely maybe not the same concert, but back to back nights? Wouldn't that it be something? Sure would be. Behold? That would be great. And it's too bad that um, we were really robbed of John's. 1980s music he had just come back with the double fantasy album and 1980 by the way will be one of our featured years we try to limit our conversations to the 70s but like we've said you can't have the 70s music without the 60s just like you can't have the 80s music without the 70s and even though 80s music morphed into more of a a new wave followed by the uh, the rap John Lennon in the 80s would have been really interesting to hear I think oh I think so too I think he was just coming out of his uh quiet time with his wife and i think he was very ready to put out some good records and of course we heard double fantasy which is a great record did the stones and the beatles get along as the years progressed oh yeah i i don't think they had any problems in fact uh uh, i know that you know early on uh the beatles wrote some some material for them but i think they always got along fairly well they were you know the media kind of made them into opposites, but there were probably more things that they had in common than they than they had separate. To be honest with you, I think in the eighties, instead of like a lot of groups would have, are forced later on in their years to make it more of a greatest hits type of package uh, in concert, the Stones right. and maybe say featuring John Lennon for a few tunes on stage. I don't know if they would have been comfortable sharing the stage, but just speculating into the eighties and even later. 
those guys wouldn't have just been singing the old stuff. Imagine what they would have done with some of John's stuff updated. I don't know, uh, Mick Jagger's rendition of Imagine or Mind Games or something would have been something to listen to on stage. would have been great. Absolutely. Who knows, maybe they would have even done some studio work. We're talking about how many artists have left us, but I don't think Mick Jagger and Keith Richards have any plans on doing that anytime soon. It's hard to believe that uh, Keith can still be alive. I think that's the upset of the 2020s, that he's still with us. Uh, if anybody were said to be a, a, a rock and roll casualty, boy, it would have to be him. I mean, he keeps on trucking. Now, I've lost some other members of their band, of course, uh, over the years. Um, and Ronnie Wood, who officially joined the band in 1976, he was in Faces and collaborated on earlier stuff like It's Only Rock and Roll and the Black and Blue album. So they've had... Uh, different players in that band over the years, but still remains kind of the same, doesn't it? Charlie Watts. Sure and, does. And and Ronnie Wood, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, they've gotten together. They've um, gotten upset with each other. and Had just, their fights, yep. had their blow-ups. Uh, yeah, it's regular for um, uh, Keith and uh, Mick. Sorry, and Mick yeah. yeah, Keith and Mick to get mad at each other, blow up, even come to fist fights occasionally. And then get back together again in six months and make another album. A fist fight with Mick Jagger, that would be something to see. It would actually, yeah, definitely. So the song Sympathy for the Devil was recorded during the the sessions in June 1968 between June 3rd and the 30th, I believe. And so that coincided with Bobby Kennedy's assassination. And at the time, they mentioned the Kennedy, they said, uh, who killed Kennedy well, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated on June 5th, so it's, they went right into the studio and made that plural. They who changed killed the it. Kennedys. I'll be darned. Put an S on it. I never knew that. After all, it was you and me. Yeah, sure was. What wow. a great song that is. Yeah, it's a fantastic song, and wow. I never knew that story, but uh kind of hits you right where you... <laughs> kind, of encap- uh, kind of encapsulates 1968, doesn't it? It sure does. What a year it was. Um, you could see where... With the assassination of MLK and RFK, people went in 1968 just kind of threw their arms up and said, oh, what else to do? Yeah, exactly. Where do we go from here? You had, yeah, and you had a three-way election with uh, Nixon you know, George, George Wallace involved in it. and Pat Paulson. Taking all the, <laughs> the southern states. Yeah, yeah, it was an incredible year. It was a mess. It was a mess. I was only eight years old, but I do remember the unrest in in Cleveland and all across the country. And when MLK was assassinated, Bobby Kennedy made that famous speech off the cuff uh, in Indianapolis. Um, Back then, he was the guy who mentioned to the crowd what had happened, and nobody knew. So there was a gasp that went into the crowd. uh, crowd, And uh, every other city pretty much in the United States had riots that night except for Indianapolis. That's he right. Was. And yeah. the next day, he was due at the City Club in Cleveland and gave a speech there, one of his best speeches. Uh, the very next day in Cleveland, right after MLK was assassinated in April of that year, little did we know, two months later, almost to the day. That and was a terrible year. In a lot of ways, a lot like 2020, not to get too political and and uh, down about uh, about these years, but... Like 1969 versus 1979 in music, 63 and, and, and 20 had, uh, 68 rather, and 20 were parallel, I think, uh, with what was going on politically. Right. It's just a weird year, and you, at the end, you just go, like, I don't know what's going on. 
So that'll do it for this episode of Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. Thanks so much, Frank, for joining me. I appreciate your input. Thank you, sir. Next time around, we're going to have our featured year, 1978. That was a big year for Jackson Brown, who will be our featured artist. Next time around on Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. For Frank Austin, Tim Friedman, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.